Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris and to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 28th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Looking at today's weather forecast, first thing, this comes from KCRG in Cedar Rapids. Watch for a few slick spots on the roads this morning as warmer temperatures are causing a layer of frost to develop on some surfaces. Today continues to look like a good one, with highs ranging from the upper 30s north to mid-40s further south. Whatever snow gets melted today will likely be part of a fog and drizzle setup for tomorrow. Highs tomorrow look even warmer, with mid-40s north to mid-50s for areas south of I-80. The next system beyond that one looks to arrive sometime later Saturday into Saturday night, with a mix of light rain or snow possible. Plan on highs this weekend, generally around 40 degrees. It's nice to get a break from that Arctic air for a while. Looking at the front page, we have these stories to read today. Iowans to get refunds for predatory pet loans. Grant provides new yoga options. Reporter finds reward in courier job. And let's begin reading the top story, Study Finds Alarming Soil Erosion. Rate in Midwest and Iowa grows 10 to 1,000 times higher with modern ag. This story was written by John McCracken Grist and comes from the Wisconsin Watch newspaper. Midwest soil is eroding at an alarming rate, according to new first-of-its-kind research. Researchers at the University of Massachusetts found that the rate of soil erosion in the Midwest is 10 to 1,000 times greater than it was before modern agricultural practices reigned supreme across the region. The study found that before modern agriculture, the rate of soil erosion was vastly smaller than what it is now deemed an acceptable amount of erosion by the United States Department of Agriculture, or USDA. Quote, the Midwest is losing soil for most of these sites about 100 times faster than it's forming, unquote, said Isaac Larson, a geoscience professor at the University of Massachusetts and a study co-author. Larson, an Iowa native, said the loss of soil is a concern across the board, from the fragility of food production to concerns over groundwater pollution. He said the rich soil the Midwest is known for has been eroding and replaced with synthetic chemicals like fertilizers and pesticides. A different story, released earlier this year by Larson, found that the Midwest lost roughly 2 millimeters of soil per year, which is double what the USDA deems acceptable in the past 160 years. University of Massachusetts researchers found a method to get data on how much soil has been lost since before mass machinery and man disrupted the Earth's surface. By studying the amount of beryllium-10, a rare element found in stardust that makes its way to the Earth's surface after distant stars explode, scientists were able to find untouched Midwestern fields and prairies with rich amounts of space dust. When compared to fields used for corn and soybean production across the Midwest, which included sites in Iowa, Minnesota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas, the tiled fields had far less concentration of beryllium-10. 
Larson said the Midwest has lower natural erosion rates compared to other regions, but agriculture has sped up these rates drastically. Quote, if we can find ways to still have agriculture, but with erosion rates that are comparable to those long-term erosion rates, we're able to sustain thick, organic-rich soil, Larson said. The push for climate-smart agriculture and farming solutions has grown. Millions of dollars have poured in from private corporations and nonprofits in recent years, and now the federal government is pushing for $20 billion for farmers to adopt climate-smart practices. Generally, two methods seem to help protect soil health are cover crops, fusing vegetable not meant to be harvested in between harvested crops to protect the soil from erosion, and no-till farming, where growers try not to disturb the soil during planting and harvesting as much as possible to ensure nutrients stay locked into the ground and erosion doesn't occur. Both of these methods are used in combination with changes to harvests, such as planting perennial crops across the country as the nation's agricultural industry adapts to a warming climate. While the effectiveness of popular methods like cover crops has been challenged, despite more and more Midwest farmers using them, agriculture advocates continue to push for more farmers to adopt less intrusive methods to stop erosion. Kathy Day, Climate Policy Coordinator for National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, or the NSAC, an advocacy organization, said climate adoption and soil health vary by region from the growth of agroforestry to a push for no fertilizer. But across the board, more funding is needed for farmers to learn and adopt practices to prevent soil loss. She said federal legislation was at the top of her mind to help farmers and growers look to change their methods. Quote, we're asking that they put a priority on soil health and put a priority on climate mitigation and adaptation as well, Day said. Next, we have an article written by Clark Kaufman, and it comes from the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Iowa Consumers to Collect Refunds for Predatory Pet Loans and Auto Repair Loans, a Utah-based bank that's behind high-interest predatory loans for pet buyers, must refund money to Iowans who were charged the illegal interest rates. The requirement is part of a newly announced settlement between the State of Iowa and Transportation Alliance Bank of Ogden, Utah. The settlement follows an investigation into the bank and its loan service provider, Easy Pay, by Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller and the Iowa Division of Banking. The agreement also requires that the bank stop issuing the high-interest loans in Iowa. Miller alleged that Transportation Alliance Bank, or TAB, failed to comply with the Iowa Consumer Credit Code by offering consumer installment loans that far exceeded the maximum finance charge of 21% APR. From March 1, 2020 to April 8, 2022, TAB made approximately 1,611 consumer installment loans to Iowans, primarily through auto repair shops and pet stores, according to Miller's office. Quote, there's a reason Iowa law caps interest rates at 21% to protect consumers, Miller said. 
these types of high-interest loans careen consumers into debt they can never repay, unquote. Miller said his office's Consumer Protection Division began looking into TAB's lending practices after being contacted in March 2021 by Jeff and Jennifer Bauman, an Iowa City couple who had obtained an easy pay loan when purchasing a puppy from Petland. The interest rate on a $1,500 loan from, for the Baumans came to 188.9%. The final cost of their loan at the time they purchased their English bulldog Zeke was $3,327. The Baumans contacted the Attorney General's office and filed a complaint against Petland. Zeke had lived for 20 months before dying of renal failure, resulting in thousands of dollars in veterinary care. The Attorney General's office learned the Baumans had purchased the puppy for approximately $5,000, paying $500 out of pocket, putting $3,000 on a credit card, and signing financial papers for a $1,500 loan. The loan agreement stated that if the couple did not pay the $1,500 debt in 90 days, the interest rate would jump to 188.9%. The National Consumer Law Center says such predatory loans have resulted in hundreds of complaints nationwide. Quote, these types of loans are unconscionable, Miller said. My office has worked to prevent these types of lending institutions, so-called rent-a-bank schemes, attempt to circumvent our laws and put consumers deeper in debt, unquote. The illegally high interest rates were made possible by Easy Pay processing the loan through TAB. It's a process that animal welfare and consumer advocates call rent-a-bank, and it enables financing companies like EasyPay to route loans through out-of-state, federally regulated banks that don't have to comply with interest rate caps that are set by states. Miller and the Biden administration have called for the need to curb rent-a-bank lending, in which the banks act as lenders in name only, passing along their state law exemptions to non-bank lending partners such as EasyPay. TAB voluntarily stopped making loans in Iowa as of April 8th. Under the new settlement, however, if the company does plan to resume lending, it must inform the state and the Iowa Department of Banking no less than 30 days in advance. Under the settlement, the restitution plan will apply to Iowa residents who received consumer installment loans from the bank with the assistance of EasyPay between March 1, 2020 and April 8, 2022. The bank has 90 days to provide restitution directly to customers. TAB did not admit any wrongdoing as part of the settlement. The next story was written by Maria Cooper of The Courier. Gray Lane Yoga receives a grant to provide area and bungee yoga. And it begins with a photograph of Gray Lane Yoga studio owner Kelsey Hahn as she holds a yoga pose in her studio. Dateline Waterloo. For years, opening a yoga studio seemed like a dream that was just out of reach for Kelsey Hahn. But after benefactors loaned her the money, she was able to open Gray Lane Yoga more than a year ago. Now, her downtown studio is getting more assistance. Main Street Waterloo presented Hahn with a $6,100 impact grant to broaden her services, including one yoga practice 
that will be the first of its kind in Iowa. Quote, we're really looking for projects that will have an impact on the business and on downtown, said Jessica Rucker, Main Street Waterloo's executive director. Han will use the money to install beams in her studio, located at 213 West 2nd Street, that will allow her to begin offering aerial and bungee yoga. Quote, Our goal is to impact the community, and we're going to uplift you now, Han said. Quote, We're already to do it in your mind and your body and your heart, but now, physically, we will uplift you off the ground. She explained that area yoga isn't all about doing acrobatic flips. Anyone can participate, regardless of yoga knowledge. The silky fabrics that drape down from the beams help to support a person entirely and create balance. The silks can reduce the load on hands and knees that could limit some yoga practitioners on the mat. The installation of the silks will make Gray Lane Yoga the only yoga studio within a two-hour radius to offer area yoga. The studio will also be the first in Iowa to offer bungee yoga, according to Rucker. Han said the bungee yoga uses similar equipment to what one would wear to go rock climbing. The stretchy bands will be attached to the same beam as the area yoga silks and then attached to a harness. The cord creates a sense of anti-gravity. Like aerial yoga, it is a low-impact exercise and could help practitioners avoid injury. Quote, we already give ourselves a hard enough time anyways. We don't need to be judging ourselves when we're trying to work out, Han said. She noted yoga isn't solely for the purpose of working out. Quote, I'm giving them tools to feel more stable and strong, unquote. A timeline for construction is still being decided, but Rucker said Gray Lane Yoga hopes to hold aerial classes by the summer and have bungee classes by 2024. The next story is titled, Reporter Finds Reward in Courier Job, and it's written in the first person by Donald A. Promnitz. Joining the Courier as a hybrid news and sports reporter, I took on a balancing act but it's led to some rewarding moments in just one year. Alongside the thrill of some great athletic accomplishments, I met some truly amazing people off the field and around town. These were the news stories that stuck with me. Whether they were fun or reflective, festive or sobering, they were my top story picks for the year 2022. Honor Flight brings respect, reflection to Cedar Valley veterans. The Honor Flight is one of the most labor-intensive events you could ever think to cover. You start at around 5 a.m., fly to and from Arlington, lug about 20 pounds of equipment, and type up your story before a deadline on a cramped tour bus driving around Washington, D.C. With all of that being said, would I ever do it again? Absolutely. Taking part in the honor flight entails speaking with some of America's finest. These men and women sacrificed so much for our nation, but outside of World War II, they often weren't given the hero's welcome they deserved. The honor flight rectifies that past mistake, and it was a privilege to be part of covering it. To see our veterans tour the capital of the country, they helped to defend, and received their long-overdue gratitude. Seeing them greeted upon their return to the airport 
was also an honor. Nationally known toy expert caught collecting bug in Iowa. Some stories are touching and inspiring, or hard-hitting and poignant. This story was none of those things. It was just fun. Joel Maggie, America's Toy Scout, had a job that could only be described as whimsy personified, and I truly enjoyed conversing with him and interviewing him. Looking at what Waterloo and Cedar Falls residents brought to the table for review, I was impressed by some of the collectibles, which ranged from Star Wars figures and old comics to a baseball signed by Hank Aaron. It was like cracking open a time capsule, and it was one of the highlights of the year. Next, Diana Flelt delivered papers and smiles for 31 years. Whatever you do in life, do it with passion. For Diana Flett, it meant delivering the courier in a small stretch of rural Cedar Falls. Interviewing her for this feature, I got a glimpse into a woman whose dedication wasn't lost on her friends and neighbors or on distribution. She and her bike and wagon were a fixture of her neighborhood for over 30 years. Flett's story had so much charm, I couldn't resist including it. She's a reminder of why I do my job and to always take pride in it. It was an honor to know she was delivering my words, and it was a pleasure to tell her story. Also, Ukrainian immigrant finds support, community in troubling times. The war was in the forefront of international conversation in 2022. But for Eleda Thrall, a Ukrainian immigrant living in Iowa, it took a personal toll. Thrall had been living in Waterloo for less than a year when the war broke out, and was half a world away from her family. When her father was killed in combat, she was unable to attend his funeral. However, life has to go on, and Thrall found the ability to do so with the support from her community and purpose in her work with the University of Northern Iowa Center for Urban Education. I took a lot of pride in doing this one. And next, as owners plan Hickory House rebuild, Community Remembers Longtime Institution. The Hickory House Fire saw the loss of a Waterloo institution. The restaurant was in the Chillicote family for 70 years, celebrating its anniversary just a week before the fire. As they looked to rebuild, the owners said they don't want bigger and better, they just want it the way it was. After interviewing my sources and dining there myself, I can see why. It's a homey, warm kind of place where family is at the heart of the business, not only in ownership, but focus. Waterloo lost something special when it burned down, and I hope the community can get it back sooner rather than later. Now let's turn the page to the Cedar Valley section, and at the top we see another installment in the Courier's 20 Under 40 feature, this one titled Seth Voigt. He is invested in success for the betterment of the community he loves. This was written by Maria Cooper of The Courier. Dateline Waterloo. Seth Voigt enjoys learning about the community he loves. He helps grow the community through projects he manages at Turnkey Associates in Waterloo. Quote, working here opened doors to community development on a minor scale, Voigt said. Although Turnkey's portfolio mainly features banks. One project Voigt headed was for House of Hope's building on West 4th Street in Waterloo. He ended up joining the organization's board in 2018, 
shortly after the building's completion. Quote, Construction is person-oriented, Voigt said. I became interested in success for the betterment of the community, unquote. Voigt, 37, graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in aerospace engineering. He said he ventured into the construction side of engineering because it'd be better than sitting in a cubicle. With his job, he gets to go out on sites and out of the office. Voigt is a member of the 2022 class of Courier 20 Under 40 award winners. He said he learned to love engineering through the booby traps in the movie Home Alone and the gadgets in the TV show MacGyver. Voigt said he loves his job because he gets to mesh his two favorite things, finding out how things work and talking to people. Voigt was first introduced to Waterloo when he moved here in sixth grade, but he calls this place his home. He attended Hoover Middle School and West High School. He returned to Cedar Valley after college in the midst of the 2008 recession. Life throws us curveballs, but it's all blessings, Voigt said. One of those blessings for Voigt is serving on the board of directors for House of Hope. The organization's role is to provide a home, a community, and a transformation for single mother families in homelessness and women ages 18 to 24 who age out of foster care, according to the organization's website. He is currently the treasurer, finance committee chair, and participated on each task for new programming. His 20 under 40 nominator, Abby Sears, said, quote, He is not only an integral part of the leadership team within the board, but he is known to bring other contractors, funders, and volunteers to the table to further the mission of the House of Hope, Sears said. Beyond his service, his personality and constant positivity gets everyone around him excited to be part of the team. Voigt said since he's joined, he's seen a 300% growth in the organization, and he hopes to reach out to more families and young women. Apart from being involved with the House of Hope, he is involved with Boys and Girls Club and wraps presents for the organization during the holidays. The biggest inspiration for Voigt is his wife, Elizabeth, who he noted received her doctorate while she was pregnant and working full-time in the health industry during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, she pushes me to do my best, he said. Looking at her, if she can do it, so can I, unquote. The couple recently welcomed a baby boy, Campbell, into the family. Voigt said he loves to smile, meet new people, and he can tell he's going to be smart. Voigt loves raising his family in the Cedar Valley and is proud to call Waterloo his home. Quote, the Cedar Valley and Waterloo is an amazing place, and the energy from young and old leaders, it has been special to raise a family here, he said. There's creative business owners, downtown diversity, and it's small enough, but big enough that stuff happens, unquote. Our next story was written by Donald Promnitz, titled, Iowa Schools Approve IHSAA Classification Changes, Proposal Going to State Board. Dateline is Boone. High school football is likely to see a major shift following passage of a new classification system under the Iowa High School Athletic Association. More than half of Iowa high schools have voted to support considering socioeconomic factors when determining classifications for 
high school football next year. If the measure gains final approval, the IHSAA will take 40% of a district's number of students on free and reduced-price lunch and subtract it from the total number of students in grades 9 through 11 to determine new classifications. The plan was supported by 80% of voting schools. The measure needed 50% support from the total membership or 60% support from those voting for approval. It cleared both thresholds with 211 yes votes and 52 no votes. Of the 365 IHSAA member schools, 263 participated in the vote. Earlier this month, the measure was approved by the IHSAA Board of Control. According to Executive Director Tom Keating, an updated version of the IHSAA Articles of Incorporation has been submitted by the organization's legal counsel for consideration by the Iowa State Board of Education. Quote, should the Iowa State Board of Education approve the amendment, the new model for classification in football will be implemented for the 2023 and 2024 football scheduling cycle, Keating said in an update emailed to school officials across the state. Keating said the item will be on the board's January 12th agenda. Football is the only sport where scheduling is decided by the IHSAA. Scheduling for all other sports is determined by the individual schools based on conference affiliation or agreement between non-conference schools. Our next story is titled, Halverson, Mallard Point's Longest Tenured Resident, is One Piece of Friendly Community. Story was written by Andy Malone and opens with a photograph of Janice Halverson, Dateline Cedar Falls. Janice Halverson is only five feet tall, but she has a lot of heart and kindness tucked inside her tiny body. That's how her friend Audrey Fodness portrays her. The two have gotten to know each other over the years while living at Holiday Mallard Point, a senior living community on Orchard Drive in Cedar Falls. Halverson, 91, has become a valuable asset since moving there in 1998. She's the longest tenured resident and is just one piece of community's overall personality. Quote, everyone's so friendly around here, Halverson said. It's a trait she shares. During her 90th birthday party, Halverson's family brought cake for everyone to share. And at other festive times, celebrating holidays like Halloween and Independence Day, she occasionally decorates her walker and carries along treats while enjoying fun events. It's safe to say that she's found comfort living amongst the people and staff at Mallard Point. Her son, Mark Halverson, and daughter, Lori DeVries, point out that it started with finding the perfect studio apartment where she's lived for the entire quarter century that she's been there. Quote, she's got the best room in the place, said DeVries. One reason is the view overlooking a lot of nature and trees and reminding her of time on the family farm near Toledo, where she spent many years with her family and many cattle, hogs, rabbits, chicken and sheep, to name a few of the animals. Quote, I've never thought I wanted to live on a farm, but I enjoyed it, Halverson said. It was a lot nicer than I thought it was going to be. I've come to enjoy nature, unquote. The world's natural beauties can be quiet and peaceful 
and Fodness, 89, notes that one aspect of her personality that has led the two to become friends. Quote, she's just very nice and pleasant, and I enjoy her company, said Fodness. She's a welcome part of Fodness's life as someone who nowadays likes to sleep in and relax after a career as a nurse. Fodness always had to get up early and arrive at a job where she found herself running around constantly and dealing with the challenges of the profession. Quote, not only do we have so many residents who have really long tenure with us, but we also have a number of key staff members who have been here many, many years as well, said General Manager Catherine Miller in a statement. Quote, it's a joy to serve them and serve with them as well. Halverson, too, finds other ways to keep herself busy. In her spare time, when she's not enjoying cookies, fish, roast beef, chicken, or another helping of food during mealtime, she's pondering over possible games to play like bingo, pool, beanbags, and dominoes. Quote, Sometimes I think it might be good to get started again, Halverson said. I do like to play and beat people. But what's become a ministry in her life is Bible study inside the chapel with a small group of 10 to 15 people. Quote, I can always be learning about the Bible. It's something I'm interested in and am learning from the teacher all the time things I didn't already know, she said. Additionally, Halverson has found a love in watching sports on television. In particular, she's become a fan of the University of Iowa's Hawkeye basketball and football. Quote, I didn't watch TV a lot before I came here because I didn't have cable, she said. And now, listeners, we want to remind you that you're hearing the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 28th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now, let's turn to today's obituaries. Cedar Falls. Teresa Terry Jane Kirschman, 61, of Cedar Falls, died Friday, December 23, 2022, at her home. Terry was born April 26, 1961, in McGregor, Iowa. She graduated from Marmec High School in 1979 and attended the University of Northern Iowa. Terry married Leon Kirschman on October 25, 1980, at Swede Ridge Lutheran Church in McGregor. She worked in retail management for over 20 years. There will be a visitation for Terry from 11 a.m. to 2 o'clock p.m. on Saturday, December 31, 2022, at Dahl Van Hoof Schoof Funeral Home. There will be a visitation at Lake and Thornburg Funeral Home on Friday, January 6, from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. in McGregor, with service and burial to follow at 1 p.m. at Swede Ridge Lutheran Church in McGregor. Following the service, everyone is invited to the River Queen for lunch and drinks on Terry. Terry was the strongest woman with the biggest heart. She was a devoted Cubs and UNI fan. Her proudest accomplishments in life were her children and grandchildren. Her greatest joys in life were bringing a smile to everyone's faces and making them laugh. She loved playing softball, and even more, loved watching her kids and grandkids play sports.
She was a proud mother and wife and loved being on the farm with her husband and looking out at animals and her barn. She was a beloved wife, mother, grandmother, sister, aunt, cousin, friend, and it meant the world to her to be the best at every role she played. The only thing she wanted in life was for her family to be together and happy. If you knew her for a minute, you knew her for a lifetime. She loved unconditionally and fiercely. Five minutes with her, and she already had a spot in her heart for you. Next, in Waterloo, James Montgomery Folks, Sr., 69, of Waterloo, died Monday, December 26th, at Unity Point Allen Hospital. He was born July 18, 1953, in Olwine, the son of Harold Upton, Sr., and Mary Ellen Barker Folks. He married Crianna Hayes on March 15, 1975, at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Waterloo. Jim was employed as a welder at Traer Manufacturing in Traer for many years. Public visitation for James will be from 4 to 7 p.m. on Thursday, December 29th, at Haggerty Weichoff Grarup Funeral Service on South Street, where there will be a 6 p.m. prayer service. Memorials may be directed to the family. Online condolences may be left at www. Com. Next, Cedar Rapids. Sandra K. Casas, 79, of Cedar Rapids, formerly of Waterloo, passed away on Saturday, December 24, 2022. There will be a celebration of life for Sandra from 6.30 to 9 o'clock p.m. at the Elks Club of Waterloo, with a sharing of stories at 7.30 p.m. Arrangements are with the Stuart Baxter Funeral and Memorial Services in Cedar Rapids. Sandra was born on February 16, 1943, in Orlando, Florida, the daughter of Bertram and Ruth Johnson Trost. She graduated from West High School in Waterloo, then studied design at the University of Northern Iowa. Sandra worked at John Deere for many years. She was an independent spirit with a passion for travel baking with her grandchildren, dancing, and music. She was preceded in death by her parents. Memorials may be directed to the family. Please share your support and memories with Sandra's family on her tribute wall at www.stuartbaxter.com under obituaries. Next, in Cedar Falls, Mary K. Kaufman, 71, of Cedar Falls, died Christmas Eve, December 24th at Unity Point Health Allen Hospital of Cancer. She was born November 22, 1951, in Olwine. She was the daughter of Frederick and Mary Stiles Kaufman. After graduating from Waterloo West High School, Mary had several jobs in the area. At the age of 35, she had a severe heart attack. She recovered and decided to go to college. In 1992, she received her Bachelor's of Arts degree from Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. She went on to graduate from Upper Iowa University, Fayette, with a Master of Arts degree. Mary worked for Metadure Candy Corporation in Creston, Iowa, as the Human Resource Officer. After a few years, she got a job in Decorah with Gemini Corporation as the Safety Manager. She continued there for 14 years, 
until a heart transplant in 2009 when she retired. Mary was very active in all kinds of sports before and after her transplant, including bowling, softball, golf, and pickleball. From each of these sports, she was blessed with many lifelong friendships. She enjoyed planning annual vacation trips for her sisters and Gloria. Throughout the years, they traveled to every state except four. In 2011, after a 50-year friendship, she married her best friend, Gloria Hill. They were married until her untimely death. Services for Mary Kay will be from 10.30 a.m. Saturday, December 31st at St. Edward Catholic Church. Public visitation will be from 4 o'clock until 7 o'clock p.m. Friday, December 30th at Haggerty Wachoff Grarup Funeral Service on West Ridgeway. There will be a 4 p.m. rosary. Visitation will continue for one hour before services at the church on Saturday. The Mass will be live-streamed at https colon slash slash www.stedorg. Casual attire, including jeans, is requested if attending either event. Memorials may be directed to the family. Online condolences may be left at www.haggertywychuffgrowup.com. And now let's turn to the opinion section. This editorial first appeared in the New York Times, and it was written by Paul Krugman, titled, Is the Inflation Storm Letting Up? The average national price of regular gasoline this Christmas was almost 20 cents a gallon lower than it was a year earlier. Prices at the pump are still higher than they were during the pandemic slump, when economic shutdowns depressed world oil prices. But the affordability of fuel, as measured by the ratio of the average wage to gas prices, is most of the way back to pre-COVID levels. Now, gas prices aren't a good measure either of economic health or of successful economic policy. Although, if you listened to Republican ads during the midterms, you might have thought otherwise. But subsiding prices at the pump are only one of many indicators that the inflationary storm of 2021-22 to is letting up. Remember the supply chain crisis with the shipping rates soaring to many times their normal level? It's over. More broadly, recent reports on the inflation measures the Federal Reserve traditionally uses to guide its interest rate policy have been really, really good. So, is this going to be the winter of our diminishing discontent? After the nasty shocks of the past two years, nobody wants to get too excited by positive news. Having greatly underestimated past inflation risks myself, I'm working hard on curbing my enthusiasm, and the Fed, which is worried about its credibility, is even more inclined to look for clouds in the silver lining. And those clouds are there, as I'll explain in a minute. It's much too soon to declare all clear on the inflation front. But there has been a big role reversal in the inflation debate. Last year, optimists like me were trying to explain away the bad news. Now pessimists are trying to explain away the good news. What's really striking about the improvement in inflation numbers is that so far at least, it hasn't followed the pessimists' script. Disinflation, many commentators insisted, 
would require a sustained period of high unemployment, say at least a 5% unemployment rate for five years. And to be fair, this prediction could still be vindicated if recent progress against inflation turns out to be a false dawn. However, inflation has declined rapidly, even with unemployment still near record lows. What explains falling inflation? It now looks as if much, although not all, of the big inflation surge reflected one-time events associated with the pandemic and its aftermath, which was what Tim Transitory, including me, claimed all along, except that transitory effects were both bigger and longer-lasting than any of us imagined. First came those supply chain issues, as consumers, fearing risks of inflation, avoided in-person services, such as dining out, and purchased physical goods instead. The world faced a sudden shortage of shipping containers, port capacity, and more. Prices of many goods soared, as the logistics of globalization proved less robust and flexible than we realized. Then came a surge in demand for housing, probably caused largely by the pandemic-driven rise in remote work. The result was a spike in rental rates, since official statistics use market rents to estimate the overall cost of shelter, and shelter, in turn, is a large part of measured inflation. This sent inflation higher, even as supply chain problems eased. But new data from the Cleveland Fed confirms what private firms have been telling us for several months. Rapid rent increases for new tenants have stopped, and rents may well be falling. Because most renters are on one-year leases, official measures of housing costs and overall inflation numbers that fail to account for the lag don't yet reflect the slowdown. But housing has gone from a major driver of inflation to a stabilizing force. So why shouldn't we be celebrating? You can pick over the entrails of the inflation numbers looking for bad omens, but I'm ever less convinced that anybody, myself included, understands inflation well enough to do this in a useful way. Basically, as you exclude more and more items from your measure in search of underlying inflation, what you're left with becomes increasingly strange and unreliable. Instead, my concern, and I believe the Fed's, comes down to the fact that the job market still looks very hot, with wages rising too fast, to be consistent with acceptably low inflation. What I would point out, however, is that many workers' salaries are like apartment rents in the sense that they get reset only once a year, so official numbers on wages will lag a cooling market, and there is some evidence that labor markets are, in fact, cooling. Official reports in January, especially on job openings early in the month and on employment costs at the end, may or may not give us more clarity on whether this cooling is real or sufficient. Oh, and with visible inflation slowing, the risks of a wage price spiral, which I never thought were very large, are receding even further. So we've had some seriously encouraging inflation news. There are still reasons to worry, and the news isn't solid enough to justify breaking out the champagne. But... Given the season, I'm going to indulge in at least a glass or two of eggnog. 
Our next opinion was first printed in the Des Moines Register, and it is from guest columnist Rebecca Gilseth. When I came back to school this fall for my third year at Grandview University, I couldn't sleep for a week, and not because of the anxiety of starting a new semester. Instead, it was the environment I was trying to fall asleep in. It was too bright. I, like many Des Moines residents, was being negatively affected by something known as light pollution. Light pollution can be understood as excess illumination produced by man-made light fixtures and lights from businesses and homes. This misuse of artificial lighting is wasting the United States billions of dollars a year. And this problem isn't just a selfish desire for good sleep without having to buy blackout curtains. Light pollution is hurting all of us, even in ways we can't see. Light pollution impacts sleep. When sleep is impacted, people can suffer from obesity, depression, and sleep disorders. As one of the most diverse cities in Iowa, Des Moines' struggle with environmental racism is far from over. Environmental racism refers to the disproportionate number of ecological hazards being placed in more racially diverse areas. Light pollution is not commonly recognized as one of these hazards, but it should be. People of color have long been subjected to urban environments that do little to protect personal health and well-being. But perhaps even just as important to Iowa is light pollution's impact on animals, specifically bats. When bats are exposed to excess light, their feeding behavior is impacted. The bats are less likely to leave their roosts and are limited to hunting insects in areas where there is little excess lighting. Because of this, insect populations have fewer predators, especially when considering how insects tend to be drawn toward light. Whether insects eat crops or increased pesticide use impacts water sources, light pollution is still not being recognized as a cause. Des Moines is a beautiful city, and some artificial lighting does have its place. But with the use of artificial lighting increasing globally by 2% to 6% every year, and the lack of proper infrastructure to support it, light pollution is getting out of control. It isn't just the student who can't sleep or the bat that can't eat. It's the overwhelming implications of a city system that prioritizes simplicity over the human existence. The solution to light pollution is relatively simple. Des Moines can start by working with the U.S. Department of Energy to improve funding and light installations. Other solutions include attaching shields to streetlights to direct the light downward and keep it contained. Finally, individuals can make the choice to turn out their own lights. We all know the saying advising us to be the light in the darkness, but maybe what we really need is to be the peace in the intense glare of a city overrun by luminance. Next, we have a guest opinion that appeared in the Des Moines Register, written by Libby Jacobs and Natalie McIntyre. Renewable energy and robust transmission help provide security. And there's a note here from the Register letting us know that the authors, Libby Jacobs, is a former chair of the Iowa Utilities Board and former state representatives. She is president of the Jacobs Group. And Natalie McIntyre 
is a technical policy consultant for Clean Grid Alliance. The recent winter reliability assessment from North American Electric Reliability Corporation, or NERC, indicates a slightly increased potential risk for energy emergencies during extreme cold weather events in the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, or MISO, footprint. This warning is the subject of the Register's November 21st story, Iowa, Other States at Risk of Energy Emergencies This Winter. In its assessment, NERC cited the prediction of below-normal temperatures this winter in the upper Midwest, 4 gigawatts of coal and nuclear power plant retirements, uncertain global markets, and reduced natural gas, fuel oil, and coal inventories as a cause for that concern. MISO indicated to its board of directors on December 6th that there is a small risk of being short of resources this winter if there is an extreme weather event that coincides with higher-than-normal generator outages. The fact is, MISO's standard operating procedures are equipped to handle these circumstances. Ironically, the resources that are deemed by many to be the most reliable are subject to external factors that ultimately make them subject to outages. Specifically, geopolitical circumstances, such as the war between Ukraine and Russia, are leading to gas and oil shortages globally, which can make these electricity resources at best costly and at worst unavailable when they are needed most. Additionally, winter storm URI taught us that coal and gas face outages during extreme weather. While Iowa is a cold weather state, its 6,172 wind turbines are equipped with cold weather equipment that enables them to work effectively in temperatures as low as 20 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. In the URI event, Iowa's turbines effectively delivered low-cost energy for the Midwest, which was also experiencing record low temperatures and high demand. The addition of homegrown, affordable, clean, reliable, renewable energy such as wind, solar, and storage, combined with investments in critical transmission infrastructure, is the best near-term way to increase reliability. These energy sources can be weatherized and built here at home, creating a win-win for energy consumers. The good news is there are more than 281 gigawatts of clean energy projects waiting in the MISO queue, including wind, solar, and storage. So, when NERC issues warnings, it should be a wake-up call to build more reliable, affordable, clean energy, not to be fearful. NERC also failed to note that the recent approval of MISO's long-range transmission plan, Tranche 1 Portfolio, of transmission projects is a step in the right direction and desperately needed to support reliability. That's because the nation's transmission infrastructure is old and wasn't designed to meet the electricity needs of the 21st century. Most of the country's transmission lines are over 50 years old because planning and permitting for critical transmission infrastructure is a burdensome and lengthy process to ensure reliability, we must invest in our transmission system now. 
Iowa has the opportunity to help the permitting process move faster. America's economy, national security, and the health of our citizens depend on reliable energy. As the nation transitions to a clean energy economy, we must develop the delivery system to support it. No generation method is able to operate with 100% certainty, 100% of the time. If we want certainty in electricity availability for consumers and businesses, we need a diverse set of electricity generation types, and we must develop our critical energy infrastructure here at home, with American workers and American values, a robust integrated transmission system that can move affordable, clean, renewable energy across the country and between regional transmission operators will increase the reliability we all demand and keep the home fires burning this winter. Now let's continue reading local news from The Courier. One thrown from car in crash. Story written by Jeff Reinitz. Jessup. One person was hospitalized after being thrown from a car in a Monday night crash west of Jessup. The crash happened at about 10.20 p.m. at the intersection of Canfield Road and Independence Avenue when a westbound Chevrolet Impala allegedly failed to stop at a stop sign and collided with a northbound truck, according to the Black Hawk County Sheriff's Office. Jessup Ambulance and first responders transported the Impala driver to Unity Point Health Allen Hospital in Waterloo, where he was in critical but stable condition, deputies said. The truck driver wasn't injured. Next, a snow emergency to start at 8 p.m. Wednesday in Cedar Falls. Story filed by Courier staff. Dateline Cedar Falls. A snow emergency will be in place in the downtown and College Hill areas from 8 p.m. Wednesday until 7 a.m. Thursday. The declaration is made any time the city of Cedar Falls decides it needs parked vehicles off the streets in order to remove snow because of a recent weather event. Starting at 10 o'clock p.m. Wednesday, any vehicle blocking traffic or parked in an area with a sign displaying the words emergency snow route will be sighted and towed at the owner's expense. The Cedar Falls Public Safety Department will be placing no parking signs in the areas to correlate with the emergency as well. Motorists are advised to utilize municipal lots in the meantime. Now we have the Metro Briefs column. Christmas tree pickup planned. Waterloo. The city's sanitation department will provide free curbside collection of real Christmas trees on the weeks of January 3rd through the 6th and on January 9th through 13th. Real, undecorated trees must be on the curb by 6 a.m. on a home's normal garbage day for proper pickup. Trees taller than 6 feet must be cut down to smaller pieces. Plain, real trees are the only ones accepted for this pickup. Trees that have artificial snow, lights, decorations, or garland will not be collected. Local groups seek volunteers. Cedar Falls. The Volunteer Center of the Cedar Valley has announced the following needs of local organizations, and they are as follows. Northeast Iowa Area Agency on Aging helps deliver meals to homebound older adults, but is always looking for volunteers to help with the effort. The Salvation Army is looking for help to keep its noon lunch services running. 
Volunteers can help with in different ways, like keeping the food stocked, meal preparation, or actually serving the food. The Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity is challenging the community to sign up 100 teams this holiday season to build homes for local deserving families. Contact the Volunteer Center of Cedar Valley at area code 319-883-3015 or information at vccv.org or go online to vccv.org for a complete listing of volunteer opportunities in the Cedar Valley. And now, listeners, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, December 28th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. <music>